Thank you, Nate. You know, there is a phrase that you're probably familiar with that, uh, that you often hear whenever you're at a place maybe of indecision or whenever you're at a place where, you know, your wheels are spinning, things aren't moving the way they need to. There's a phrase that you're probably familiar with that says that it's time to either fish or cut bait. You ever heard that phrase before? Usually it happens, as I said, whenever you, you know, things just aren't going the direction or the speed that they need to go. It's time to fish or to cut bait. It happens at times, say, you know, when you're at work and you're in a long meeting and, you know, there's just a bunch of chit-chat for the first half hour and, you know, at some point you're going to think, we're going to fish, we're going to cut bait. You know, what are we here for? We're going to get down to the business of what we need to do or are we just going to waste our time? You know, whenever you're, you know, if you're dating someone for like 21 years and you're probably thinking, all right, we're going to fish or cut bait. We're going to get married or what? You know, what, what are we doing here? Guys, if you're ever shopping at the mall with your wives, right? And it's this store and that store, back to this store, back to that store, back to this store, back to that store. You think, we're going to fish or cut bait. Let's just buy the dress, all right? Let's just move on. All right, you kind of think these things, fish or cut bait. You know, I think there's a time in our lives as believers, as followers of Christ, where we also have to take inventory of our own lives. And we have to ask maybe some hard questions about the direction of our lives, the motivation of our lives. And we have to ask some hard questions at times, perhaps, of even who is God to us. And at times it may even be valuable for us to ask ourselves the question that when it comes to following Jesus, am I going to fish or am I going to cut bait? Am I going to spin my wheels and go through the motions and be content with just showing up on a Sunday? Or am I going to be involved in something big? something that God is driving, something that is motivated by the heart of God himself. Not me searching to do something great that God can get credit for, but am I willing and am I in a place where I'm going to take inventory and I'm going to ask myself, am I going to fish or cut bait? Am I willing to get involved with what God wants to do through my life? Well, this morning, what I want us to see in a passage of Scripture in the book of Luke chapter 5 is, I think, a beautiful example of how ministry takes place, of how life change takes place. In just a moment, we're going to turn to Luke chapter 5, but before we do that, I just want to remind you, before we get into to, to the, uh, to the message this morning, that if we choose to follow Christ the way that God calls us to, if we choose to follow Him the way they did in the New Testament in the early days when Jesus walked this earth and He led a group of disciples and they would lead people to, to Christ and then the church would start and they would be on mission, if we choose to follow Christ that way, it's going to be very, very costly to us. And before we begin to think through what kind of a benefit is it going to be for me, what, what, what is God going to do for me in this deal if I choose to follow him, I think we need to take a step back and we need to realize that following Jesus is very, very costly. It costs us in regards to our time. It costs us in regards to our finances. God calls us to be generous. God calls us to, to give where there are needs. And it's going to cost us in regards to finances. It may cost us in regards to possessions when we begin to realize that our possessions are not ours. You know, we're just the managers of those things. God owns them. And there may be times when God says, you know what? You don't need that. Give it away. Or God may say, you know what? You do need that. Give it away. And I'll provide for you in the midst of your generosity. It costs us to be followers of Jesus. It may cost us in regards to our lifestyle. There are things that we could do before we follow Jesus that we can't do and get away with it with a clear conscience once we begin to follow Christ. God changes our lifestyle. He changes our weekends. He changes the way we do business. He changes the way we spend our money. He changes the way that we speak. He changes the way that we think. He changes the motivations of our hearts. He changes our relationships. He changes the way we parent. He changes the way we treat our spouses. He changes the way we treat our enemies. He changes everything. Whenever we choose to follow Christ with all of our hearts, we cannot follow Jesus and be the same we always were. 
And I think there's a place where each of us as followers of Jesus come to a place, hopefully where we decide to, sometimes circumstances force it, but we have to ask our questions, ourselves the question, am I going to fish or am I going to cut bait? Am I all in with Jesus or am I going to choose for something less? Am I going to be a, 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 an authentic follower of Jesus Christ, am I going to seek to treat Jesus like some little plastic model of who I want him to be? In Luke chapter 5, we find that Jesus is at the very beginning of his ministry. Things are about to kick into high gear. In fact, he hasn't even called all of his disciples at this point. He's about to call three of them right here, as you'll see in this passage of Scripture. But in Luke chapter 5, the, the setting is very, very simple. It's, it, it, there's a couple of key players. Now, there's a big crowd here, but it's going to be primarily Jesus and Simon Peter, who had become one of his disciples, are going to be the key players of this passage of Scripture. They're going to be on a place called the Sea of Galilee, which, interestingly, you read of often in the New Testament. The Sea of Galilee was nothing specially impressive. It was a lake, really. And we say Sea of Galilee, but it was a large lake, seven miles by 12 miles or so, about 200 feet deep at the deepest part. Uh, mountains that, that went around largely a large part of it that, that, that would create kind of like a, a deep basin, almost a deep bowl in which the Sea of Galilee would sit. Today, if you go to the Sea of Galilee, from what I understand, the, the, it's not only a place where work takes place, the New Testament work took place, fishermen would often navigate that, that lake and that sea and, and would provide for themselves and others. Today, there are resorts at different places, and you can do a, just a search on your Google phone, not now, hopefully, while I'm speaking, but you can do a search on your phone, and you'll find resorts and fancy places where you can go, and you can play there on the Sea of Galilee. Not, not too far, really, kind of from Christianity today. There are people who, who, uh, who take their walk with Christ very seriously. They're fully involved, fully immersed, and there are those for whom Jesus is just someone maybe to dabble with from time to time. And when we need something or we want something, then we come to him, we cry out to him, but really, by and large, the rest of our lives is kind of lived by our own agenda and our own strength. So the Sea of Galilee is kind of symbolic in that way. It's interesting. It's where work takes place. It's where play often happens. And it's here in Luke 5 that Jesus is on the, the bank of the Sea of Galilee, a very ordinary setting. And as things begin to unfold, we begin to see really a picture of what it means to follow him. And it's going to be demonstrated in the life of this man by the name of Simon Peter. And so pick up with me here in Luke chapter 5, looking at a message entitled Into the Deep. Luke chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 1. And we'll ultimately make it through the first 11 verses of this chapter. If you don't have your Bibles, you can read along with me on the overhead. If you do have your Bibles, again, Luke chapter 5 is where we are. So let's begin, verse 1. It says, It happened that while the crowd was pressing around him, that's Jesus, while the crowd was pressing around him and listening to the word of God, that means Jesus was speaking, he was preaching, he was teaching, that he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. It's another phrase that's descriptive of the Sea of Galilee. It says, And he saw two boats lying at the edge of the lake, but the fishermen had gotten out of them, and they were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, that's Simon Peter, and he asked him to put, away, to put out a little way from the land. And he, Jesus, sat down, and he began teaching the people from the boat. Here's the interesting thing. This is a very ordinary setting, isn't it? And this isn't like some miraculous setting. There are no angels on the hillside singing, ah, you know, this is the Son of God, ah, listen to him. You know, none of that's happening, right? There are no neon lights flashing. This is a very ordinary setting. It's Jesus by, 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 the, by the water's edge. And there are, a, there, there's a crowd, there are people that are gathered there, a couple of boats there, pulled up on the shore. There are guys that are mending their nets, having fished all night long. 
It's a very ordinary setting. Here's one thing I think we can understand from this, is that when God does his work, he often does his greatest work today through yielded followers of Christ in very ordinary settings. I love the story that Nathan told, and we didn't coordinate this for this message or any of those kinds of things. I heard him share that story when he got back a couple of weeks ago. We didn't try to fit it into today, and I didn't try to build a message around it, but I think this is a beautiful illustration that when Whenever you remember the story that he just shared, that was a very ordinary daily setting, right? Just going out, delivering boxes. That's what we're doing. We're obeying God. But when you are following God and when you are walking in God's will and you are fully involved, and even when we're less than fully yielded, but we're just willing, man, God often shows up there. And in the details of our lives is often where he does his greatest work. When you get interrupted at work and that coworker comes knocking on your door and you're thinking, oh man, come on, it's like 4.30 and I'm wanting to get out of here at 5. You know, but they're telling you the story of what went on this weekend and they and their wife had this big old fight and things aren't going well. You know, It's in that daily routine that often God does his greatest work. And who's to say he didn't lead them to your office, to your cubicle, knocking on your door so that you can bring Jesus there? And see what God can do in the midst of that situation. God often uses the daily routines. When you look through, through Scripture, I preached a series 10 years ago on, uh, on how Jesus, in the midst of interruption, often did his most significant ministry, right? And how Jesus often, he would be interrupted moving from point A to point B. And in the midst of that interruption, uh, he would accomplish something in a person's life that they would never forget. And that's the way it is for us. Ministry often happens. Experiences with God often happen in the midst of very daily experiences. Just an ordinary setting here. Jesus, Simon Peter, a whole crew of people, two boats pulled up on shore and some guys mending their nets. Man, for one of these guys, Simon Peter, (laughs) life would never be the same. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says, when he, Jesus, had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. <laughs> just, a simple, just a simple command. Uh, just a simple statement. Simon, I want you to launch out to the deep water. All right, that, that in itself, that one phrase would have struck a chord with Simon because he would have thought, this man does not know what he's talking about. All right? This isn't at the end of Jesus' three-year ministry. It's not like he and Simon Peter have developed this close bond. For all we know, Peter at this point may not even know completely and totally who Jesus is. He would have heard about him more than likely. So Jesus says to him, put out into the deep water. Here's why Simon Peter would have thought this was odd. Because as a fisherman, you didn't catch fish out in the middle of the sea. Right? You know, when you look at our shrimpers here in, in our own coastal area, they don't go out dragging four miles off the sh- offshore, right? You, know, you don't go out in the middle of the deep. You drag along the shoreline. You drag close to shore. That's where you're going to catch your greatest haul of fish. And this, it was the same in the first century there in the Sea of Galilee. At the same time as well, these fishermen on the Sea of Galilee would have also known that they do not go out in the middle of the day to catch fish. They would do their business. They would take, take their boats out in the middle of the evening and at nighttime. That's why it says here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus in the day is standing on the water's edge and there are men mending their nets. Why? Because they'd been out all night fishing. That's the way they did it. And so you can only imagine what Peter would think here at this point. He's thinking, all right, who do you think you are? You know, I'm the fisherman. You're telling me to launch out into the deep water. I'm the fisherman. I know to go fishing at night. You're telling me to go on out here in the middle of the day. Who do you think you are? I thought I heard you were a carpenter, right? <laughs> Who do you think you are telling me how to catch fish? And, and this is a, a real interesting place for Peter to be at because more than likely he's heard of Jesus. More than likely he's heard amazing things about Jesus, but he's about to have to come to the place, literally, uh, where he's going to have to decide, am I going to fish or am I going to cut bait? I've got to decide who this man is and the implications of that for my own life. 
Verse 5, notice what it says next. So Simon answered and he said, Master, (laughs) we worked hard all night and we caught nothing. We went at the best time and we went to the best places and we brought back nada. We, We caught nothing, all right? But I will do as you say and I will let down the nets. And it's that one statement right there at the end. Do not miss. If you don't mind writing in your Bibles to highlight what's highlighted on the overhead. If you don't mind writing, just draw a line into that, circle it, put a star by it, whatever you want to do. Because it's the key to this whole passage. It's the hinge on which everything would swing in Peter's life. That when he looks at his life and when he looks at his circumstances, he has the decision to make. Am I going to do what this man says or am I not? I have already failed in my best efforts. And now I'm being asked to do something that does not make sense. That does not seem to fit my framework of understanding. (laughs) I'm being asked to do something that seems to be totally and completely absurd. But I've got to decide whether or not this is of God or is it not. And when Peter surveys all of those variables, he decides based simply on what Jesus says is what he'll do. You know what? You will come to times in your life, and I will come to times in my life, where we will face decisions or we will stand before opportunities. And we have to decide what we're going to do with those decisions and with those opportunities. Whether we're going to take the risk, whether we're going to take the step, whether we're going to retreat, whether we're going to push forward, we will have to make a decision on what we're going to do. And what God does not want us to do is he does not want us to make those decisions based on what we read, read in a book or, or see on television or based on what some friend says. He can use those things. But what he wants us primarily to do is to develop such a close relationship with him that we recognize God's voice when he leads us. And the thing that mattered most to Peter in this instance was not what his intellect told him, not what his years of experience told him. It's what the master told him. And he said, Master, I will do exactly as you say. It was the hinge on which everything else would swing. You know, there's a principle, I think, that comes up here that I hope you'll jot down because it's, it's significant as we try to apply this to our lives. And the, the principle is this, that the call to the deep that God places in our lives, the calls that he places where he wants us to trust him, they will always carry risk and they will always carry reward. For those of you that work in the corporate world, if you choose to live out your faith in the business world, regardless of whether you're a store owner, whether you're an employee or an employer, regardless of where you fall on the food chain, right? If you try to live out your faith in the workplace, it's going to cost you. There's going to be tremendous risk there. There's a fire chief in the Atlanta area, you probably heard this in the news, who lived out his faith. He didn't even take it and flaunt it in the, in the workplace. He wrote a book, a Bible study basically, to use of his own free time. And yet word of that came out where he took a very firm and a very solid stand on God's word regarding uh, homosexuality and the same-sex marriage and those issues that are such hot-button topics today. He had taken a stand on those. He had written his own material, his own, his own, uh, his own work basically. Word came out and he lost his job as a result of it. It's risky to live out your your faith in Christ. Now, you can live out all kinds of other religions and probably be embraced in this country, but if you live out your Christian faith, it's going to cost you. It's going to be risky. 
And God will call you as a business person. He will call you as a student on your campus to seek to live out your faith on your campus. And it's going to be incredibly risky. He's going to call you as a person in your community, in your neighborhood, in the circles of influence that you have. He will call you not just, again, to treat Jesus like some plastic figurine that we stick on our dashboard and we want him to do good things for us whenever we need it. Now, he doesn't want us to treat him that way. He wants to be Lord of our lives. He wants to to call the shots in our lives. And if we come to him and follow him on his terms, wherever he leads us, if we're willing to go there and we're willing to let our lives be the instruments that he uses to put himself on display, that's going to be incredibly, incredibly risky for us to do that. Not everyone will embrace you for choosing to live a life like that. And yet where he calls us to the deep, where it carries great risk, it will also bring great reward. Look back again to verse 6 and verse 7 in this passage of Scripture. Back in Luke chapter 5 again. It says, when they had done this, when they had launched out to the deep, and whenever they had let down their nets, following not their intellect, but the words of Christ, the direction that Jesus had set. It says, when they had done this, they enclosed a great quantity of fish, and their nets began to break. <laughs> so they signaled to their partners in the other boat for them to come and help them. And they came and they filled both the boats so that they both began to sink. All right, so, so great was the haul, so great was the catch here, that when these people, when Simon Peter chose to step out and to just go where Jesus led him, So great was the reward that not only his boat, but also the other boat began to sink as a result of what God did. Now, here's where we have to be careful. When we choose to follow Jesus and when we choose to launch out into the deep, not by our own whim, but by his direction, there is great risk, yet there is great reward. It doesn't mean it's the big cha-ching, right? Where, you know, we pull the lever and, all right, God, I launched out. I follow you by faith. Now, where's my new car? All right, where's my new date? You know, where's my new, you know, bank account? You know, it doesn't operate that way. But just as what Nathan shared, when we launch out into the deep and we're willing to do what he leads us to do, God, I don't feel like handing out this box. God, I don't feel like making this drive another hundred yards into the jungle. But because you've led me here, I'm going to be willing to do it anyway. What is the reward? The reward are all those families that accepted Christ. But the reward also is one person who weeks later would stand on a platform and challenge the socks off the rest of us. With a message that says where God leads, if we just take him at his word and follow him, yes, it will cost us, but man, oh man, does he reward that kind of faith. Man, he does that. I think, so what, what, are the, what are the handles to a message like this for us? The handles are very simple. The way we pick this message up and carry it into our own lives depends on our circumstances, and that's different for every one of us. For some of you, maybe in, in a dating relationship, you're in a relationship you don't belong in, and you know it. You know it. I mean, God has shown you, God has told you, but you're not willing to trust. You're not willing to trust that he can, he can provide on the inside of you what only he can. And so you cling to something that you know he doesn't want because you're not willing to launch out into the deep and wait on his timing. For others, you may be doing some things at work, and if you change them, you're going to lose clients, you're going to lose profit, you're going to lose territory you might lose a job. And you have to decide as God calls you into the deep to do it the right way whether you can trust him. And it's risky there. But he says, whoever honors me, I will honor him. That's your deep. For others, you're at the edge of the water, so to speak, and you face a decision that you know God has led you to. And you're standing there with knees knocking and teeth teeth chattering, hands trembling, Because you know what God's calling you to do is bigger than you are. And it's time to fish or cut bait. 
And you're going to decide, is my faith something that only keeps me comfortable on a Sunday morning from 9 to noon? Or is my faith who I am? And I'm going to follow Jesus simply because he's led me. You know, back in the day when pirates roamed the sea in a different way than they do today, (laughs) it was not uncommon for a ship to overtake another ship. And that pirate ship would come alongside and they would tie up and they would board that ship and they would take the crew and they would take over. One of the first things they would do is they would take those colors, that flag of that ship, and they'd run them down the mast, down the pole. And they would take their own flag, attach it, and they'd run them up the mast, replacing the former colors with theirs. So that whenever someone would come and see that ship, they would know under whose control that ship sailed. You know, when we liken that to our own lives, there's a place, I think, for many of us where we prayed and we gave our lives to Christ like Nathan spoke of. And we remember that day for us. For me, I was probably close to eight years old. For some of you, it's been in recent weeks or months. For others, it was way back. But when we pray and we give our lives to Christ and we lay down our sin and we ask Jesus to come and forgive us and take over, it's as though we take the colors of our own life down and we run his flag up, right? That's kind of one way of looking at it. It helps me at least understand. It means now that my life is sailing under, under a new master. My life is sailing under a, 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 new, a, a new captain, so to speak. But here's the problem that many of us face, is that even though we've given our lives to Christ, there are times in our lives, aren't there, where we take that flag down and we run our own flag back up again. And we say, God, you know, the way I do business, that's going to be up to me. I'm going to replace your flag with mine when it comes to the business world. God, the way I raise my family, because I know what I want to do, church isn't really on the agenda, helping to mold them and my kids into who Jesus wants them to be. That's not most important. I want to teach them how to throw a fastball. I want to teach them how to hit a drive real long. I want to teach them other things. And so molding them into the image of Christ, that's really not, not my, my main priority. So I'm going to just kind of run the whole parenting. I'm going to run your flag down. I'm going to run my flag up and parent the way I want to. And there are a whole host of areas of our lives, aren't there, where we take God's flag down and we put our own flag up. Here's the thing. We have to decide who is Lord. Who is Lord? And when we decide who is Lord, if it's him, he calls the shots. He gives the word. He's always faithful to direct and to guide. And when he does, just like Peter 2,000 years ago, it's our our place, it's our role to say, Lord, just because you say it, this is what I'll do. Hey, for you, think in your own heart this morning. If you were to apply the faith that Peter had in your own life, a faith that doesn't need to know how, first of all, a faith that doesn't have to be accepted as, you know, acceptable for you, but a faith, if you have a faith like Peter that just says, God, only because this is where you're leading, this is where I'm going to go, what would change in your life tomorrow? What would be different? If you were willing to live like Peter and say, God, just because you've said it, starting today, this is what I'll do. What would be different tomorrow because of that? When he calls us into the deep, it often always carries risk. But at the same time, it often always brings reward. Why? Because God is worthy. His way is best. He delights in those who know him. And he will always provide for those who follow. Let's pray. God, what an amazing picture of what faith looks like there in Luke 5. What, what an interesting scene. Lord, nothing really much out of the ordinary. Just a 
just another day at the office in a way for Simon Peter there on the water's edge mending his nets getting ready to go back out that night for another night's work and yet Lord when that passage ends we find that Simon Peter would recognize his own sin he would recognize who you were in light of his sin that you were Lord you were master you were Savior you were God and when that passage ends we find that Simon Peter leaves everything everything to follow you Lord, he wouldn't, he wouldn't save a little bit of it to fall back on. Times got tough. He wouldn't try to dabble with you on certain days of the week, and then other days he's going back to fishing. Lord, he, Luke tells us he, he left everything to follow you. He'd have a front row seat for things we still read about in your word today. He would be right there because he followed. He wouldn't get it right every time, God. We know that. He would fail, and sometimes in some ways he's known more by his failures than he is his successes. But God, he's a man who experienced you. He's a man we still talk about today because of the work you did in his life and because of the example he set of following you when you led. Lord, I don't, I don't know how this unpacks for all of us here. It may unpack 400 different ways for, for all of us that are here. But Lord, the principle doesn't change. That when you call us to the deep, we don't have to understand how it's going to work. We don't have to wait for a timing that fits our schedule. Lord, all we need to know is that you, is it you who leads us there. And when it is, we'll be just fine. So God, help us to be a church characterized by faith that trusts you, even in, the, even in the hard things you ask of us. And Lord, when you reward our faith with the blessings that only you can give, may we be quick to give you the glory. God, for those who don't know you today that have never given their lives to Christ, Lord, there may be some that are here and they, they have nothing but brokenness on the inside. They are completely, totally unprepared to stand before you one day because their sin's never been forgiven. Lord, I pray today that if they see Jesus as who he is, God who came and died and rose just to pay for their sin, I pray that right where they sit this morning, as a simple act of their will, they'll tell you, Lord Jesus, that they're ready to set their sin aside and that they will invite you to come in, forgive, and take over. And so, God, do with us as you desire this morning. May we follow where you lead. We thank you for what you'll do. In Jesus' name, amen.